First of all, delighted to be here. So I contribute to another podcast that's on the Pod Dojo network uh, called For Your Reconsideration, uh, which is hosted by Rob Parker, myself, and Simon Lewis. And basically what we do on that podcast is we just talk about forgotten films, films that got a bit of a rough critical deal when they came out, and decide whether they're actually worthy of a second look. And we cover all sorts of different things on the pod so like forgotten masterpieces like William Friedkin's Sorcerer to direct to DVD Bigfoot movies (laughs) (laughs) alien abduction movies which are very much in Rob's wheelhouse (laughs) Uh, recently we've just uh, recorded an episode that might be out by the time this comes out of Martin Scorsese and Nicolas Cage's team up uh, Bringing Out the Dead from 1999 which is something of a forgotten film that didn't make a lot of money on its initial release and yeah we're always just of the opinion that making films is a difficult endeavour it's a miracle that anything ever Mm. actually makes it to the screen Mm. and sometimes things just come out for one weekend people have a shoulder shrug or give it a kicking or don't go and see it and what we try to do on the pod is go back and look at what some would describe as flawed films and give them another moment in the sun so to speak in fact tonight's film that we're going to be discussing prince of darkness would qualify yeah uh, to be discussed on our in our on our pod because it has a currently has a 58 percent rating on rotten tomatoes mm. you're not tied down to any any genre or any kind of you know no. period of, of filmmaking has there been any films where you have done a complete u-turn on either your preconception of that film or on a repeat view you've thought actually this is you know, with hindsight, I'd completely misjudged this and it's either better or worse than I remember it. (laughs) Yeah, um, there's been a few that have surprised me where I hadn't initially seen them and just thought they were brilliant. Um, What some... Some would go, uh, so uh, to talk about bringing out the dead that we've just discussed, we were like just sort of discussing it and it's sort of seen as a lesser tier... Martin Scorsese film and as we were going through it was actually my pick so I was already sort of aware that I Mm. that I liked it but I hadn't seen it for maybe 15 20 years or so Mm. so you know maybe a few years after it initially came out and we were going through it and we were just talking about the you know the the attention to detail within the filmmaking and the editing and the way that it was shot and the performances and we're like oh, is this actually a masterpiece as we're going going through it? So in that instance, it was even better than I remember it doing. But yeah, we always, even with some of the the people would perceive as lower rent stuff that we cover, we always try and find, you know, the nuggets like, okay, so the story doesn't work so much, but the cinematography is great or Mm. the editing's great. Oh, oh, wow, what a great score this, this pretty average movie has. And we try and tease out all the positives even if the film itself doesn't work but generally we're generally quite forgiving a lot of the time you know I think most films most films sort of range oscillate between 
not just below average or just above average, and then sometimes you find ones mm-hmm. that have been completely written off that are actually so much better than anyone ever gave them credit for in the first place. Uh, another one that springs to mind is uh, The Quick and the Dead, which is Sam mm-hmm. Raimi's mm-hmm. Yeah. Western homage, which is one of the mm-hmm. most fun films I think I've ever seen. Completely dismissed at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tournament, yeah, yeah, tournament film, <laughs> Western memorabilia with a unbelievable cast. It's just great mm-hmm. fun. No matter how I suppose bad a film is, there's always something in that film that is yeah. actually worth it. And whether it is a line of dialogue, whether it is, you know, um, the sets or the cinematography or the sound or the music, there's always an element that actually is worth something, some merit. And I think it's, you know, I suppose the old adage that, you know, the worst film in the world is someone's favourite film, you know, Absolutely. something, to, something yeah. for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, making a film is a difficult endeavour, but never mm. a wasted one. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of other uh, bad film podcasts where they just dunk on a bad movie for two yeah. hours. And, you know, th- those have their place, and I enjoy mm-hmm. some of them, but we're very much trying to come from a more positive place and yeah. appreciate the craft of filmmaking, even in films that perhaps people don't hold in the highest regard. So it's great fun. So, yeah, for your reconsideration, if anyone wants to go over and check that out. But it's so great to hear that, like I say, people appreciating kind of stuff that had, had, had been dismissed as, you know, I suppose lazily dismissed as, oh, well, it's just a genre film. It's just, you know, it's John claude Van Damme. Yeah. There's no merit in there apart from him kicking people in the face. Or, <laughs> you know, a tremendous amount of merit in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean. If you just take it as, as pure enjoyment, which, you know, is the cornerstone of, of, of yeah. film making and entertainment, let's not forget that. That what, what's wrong with that? And you've got an actor who does it, does it, and does it really well? He's not the best actor in the world, but he's certainly not the worst. And at least no. he has screen presence, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which you can't say about an awful lot of people. And it also goes to show that you know he's still acting now, still working now, so he must be yeah. doing something right. But I love going down those the rabbit hole of particularly on IMDb where you search for you know, like Hard Target, and then you start going down all the John Cole Van Damme films. And it's like, oh, I'd completely forgotten about that <laughs> one. And then, and like going back and watching Time Cop, I was, oh, yeah. again, I was like, this film is really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why yeah, is absolutely. this dismissed? It's like, because it's, because it's John Cole Van Damme, but it was full of really great, big ideas, you know, Peter Himes, it just directs the shit out of it. You know, the yeah, production is like, you yeah. know, the cars, it looks like the cars are like, that looks like a Toyota Prius, you know, the, it was kind of prescient in, in some yeah. respects, but then it's like, oh, well, it's just John Claude Van Damme, isn't it? And it's like, you know, time travel. And mm-hmm. I, I, th- I, I was I was really pleasantly surprised just how well that, that holds up. But yeah, enough about John Claude, I could talk. So we're here tonight to discuss John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, which came out in 1987. So this is the second in Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, the first being The Thing and the third part being In the Mouth of Madness. So we are going to cover all of those in this little mini-series, but not in the right order. Um, <laughs> why not? So this was written by Carpenter under the pseudonym of Martin Quatermass, which is the first of many Nigel Neal references, and we'll get into that a little bit later. 
So this has Donald Pleasant, another familiar face from Carpenter, with obviously been Halloween and, and Escape from New York. Uh, Victor Wong, uh, who is another brilliant character actor, who actually in this film gets to do something very different to what he usually is cast as. You know, he is a professor in this of... Uh, what metaphysics is it? Um, and then uh, a whole cast of those. I've seen him in something else before, and I can't put yep. my finger on. So we've got <laughs> Dirk Blocker, who was in Brooklyn Nine Nine. I was like, it took me a while to, to to place him, and obviously Peter Jason, who's it again, another who's appeared in I think about is it four or five of the Carpenter films that followed this, and obviously you know. Alice Cooper, <laughs> you know, yeah. he was like, oh, yeah, fair enough, <laughs> you know, why not? So, yeah, so this came off the back of Big Trouble in Little China, which was seen as a failure, which in my eyes, it is not a failure. That, no, another excellent not. film. <laughs> <laughs> and Carpenter, who had started very much in the do-it-yourself, you know, school of, of filmmaking with Dark Star and Assault on Precinct, and then obviously the massive hit that was Halloween, and then was attracting attention for, for, for big studios. Big Little in China was a big studio film. I think I think I would put the failure down to that. It's very much in the marketing. If you watch the original trailers, it's like, what on earth yeah. <laughs> are they trying to sell? And it is a hard sell. Is it a Western? Is it horror? Is it fantasy? It, well, actually, it's all of those things. Is it a comedy? Again, it's all of those. Um, so that was a that was a big disappointment for him uh, and I think he was kind of fed up with studio interference um, so he ended up signing a, a picture deal with a, a company called Alive Films the other film that he did with them was They Live the following year another another underappreciated and <laughs> misunderstood film that now everyone knows and everyone references so it just goes to show Carter way above way ahead of his time um, so yeah so this was I think like when I, on the um, documentary talked about uh, studio interference would be trouble on Little China, but with this agreement with the live films, he didn't actually have to submit a script to get funding. So he actually submitted a, a basically, you know, a, an outline, and this outline, which became Prince of Darkness, is a. I suppose it's hard to classify as. as it, I suppose it is horror. But it is layered with many other sort of science fiction, science facts, kind of... There's a lot going on here, and I think some people may struggle that find it's a bit impenetrable, particularly the plot at times can go. It's like, what are we talking about here? And anti-God, and uh, what are we talking about, Satan? Or is it anti-God? Is it the two different things? There are all sorts of things. So, again, one film, one of those films that I love that is big ideas you know it doesn't always have to land but you know there's that ambition not necessarily in the production but the ideas in that and I think that for, for me the reason I wanted to discuss this particular film is like I suppose what other films that come to mind are things like Zardoz which is a bizarre film but just it covers all sorts of things it kind of overstretches and you know and it hasn't aged very well in some areas but other, other areas I, I just can't you know the filmmaking the ambition in the storytelling I think is, is always you know I always applaud that so yeah so is this the first time that either of you have, have seen this or is this something you're familiar with I had never heard of it before you um, suggested it right. I'm afraid to say yeah so when you mentioned it Obviously, I looked it up and I was quite surprised that it was from 1987 because that's, I don't know what it is, but perhaps when you're getting towards the later 80s, like from since when I, I was born and stuff, it starts to feel, mm -hmm. oh, it's, it's not that old. And 
obviously Living Day same year as Living Daylights and Predator, I think, as well. Is that eighty seven? So I don't know. Th- those films to me don't seem that old at all. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty interested. And then, I mean, the title <laughs> is pretty ominous anyway. <laughs> and then when I saw the plot, I was like, blimey. Wow. What, what have we got here? So yeah, it, it was, the, it was the first I'd ever, ever heard of it, but yeah, I was really excited to see it. Yes. Yeah, so uh, when Chris, you came on our podcast and mentioned that you were going to be doing a carpenter sit mini series i was already excited because he's one of my absolute favorites mm-hmm. and there were three films of his that i had not seen at the time when we last spoke so uh one was his very last film the ward i have not seen in the mouth of madness yet but that's oh, on right. the docket to do and <laughs> prince of darkness so i've pretty much said oh if you're looking for guests for prince of darkness <laughs> please have me on because i have not seen that one before and i hear it's very very good Mm. Uh, it's part of this incredible run that he was on mm. uh, through the 80s where not everything was appreciated at the time, but about three or four years out, everyone went, oh, do you remember that Carpenter film from a few years back? <laughs> <laughs> everyone loved it all of a sudden. Uh, so, yeah, I was very excited to see it, but I had not watched it previously. I suppose when you when you rattle off the, the John Carpenter list of you know from his filmography, it does tend to be sort of forgotten. You know, it's not one that people leap to. Obviously, things like Halloween, Escape from New York, and The Thing are probably the three that, that, that people, you know, remember the most. You know, I, I was already a big fan of Carpenter. What I'd sort of discovered a lot of his films late night on, on, on TV. And then I think it was the first time this was released along with They Live on DVD. I sort of blind bought them and just thought, oh, that, that sounds really interesting. And I, I was just like, this is just not what I expected at all. Like, this is... Not horror, how I imagined horror to be. It was kind of like I say, those those big ideas and talking about, you know, religion and philosophy and science and all sorts of things, kind of just all squeezed into into this film that is a great kind of. I suppose it's almost like a siege film, isn't it? You know, like like Assault on Precinct Thirteen. It's people trapped in a building, being kind of surrounded. What are your your favorite Carpenter films? Yeah, I think the I think the three that you mentioned in terms of Halloween, The Thing, and Escape from New York, they are the, the most famous mm-hmm. ones because I think they're also the three best mm-hmm. examples of his work and they come pretty much back-to-back as well. And they're pro- probably the ones that have been most influential on other filmmakers over the pre- preceding decades. But I'm also – I really like Big Trouble in Little China, which we mm-hmm. covered on the pod uh, yep. some time back now. They Live is phenomenal. And I really enjoyed, like, uh, Christine. I thought Christine Mm -hmm. was great fun. And everyone said that it was really bad. But when I re-watched it recently, I thought Escape from L.A. was an absolute hoot, (laughs) despite having some of the best, uh, some of the worst (laughs) CGI ever committed to celluloid. That is a fun film. That is good fun, that movie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And again, another one that hopefully we'll get some sort of reappraisal because I think that you know that, that you say the C- I suppose it very early days of CGI. Yeah, it wasn't know, ready, had, or the yeah. company they used just wasn't up to it. I'm An not off sure. day. Yeah, <laughs> it's and again just like a slightly insane film where it's just all these like cameos from all these actors. Like there's the, oh there's there's Pam Grier, there's Peter Fonda's in it, and then Steve Buscemi, and yeah. you know, and then Kurt Russell just absolutely owning every scene because he's Snake Plissken. So I, I would definitely worth that's definitely worth revisiting that one. I think it's it's great for 
But Matt, what have you have you do you have any sort of personal? Well, the only, the only other one I wanted to mention was uh, one that we did mention last. So the fog when we when we looked at the fog, obviously, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. But um, we touched on Starman, which is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think that's possibly the most different to some of the mm-hmm. ones that we mentioned there. In that, really, it, it is a love story. It's also a bit of a road movie in in some ways. But I really like that film, and I remember watching that as a kid, and I'd I'd not watched it for years, and then I watched it later and thought. It's a really like, I don't know, a, a bit like this film and also The Thing. It's it's like an amazing concept, but in quite a small scenario, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And but but in the case of Starman, it's a it's a love story, and and mm-hmm. yeah, so I really I really love that. Um, obviously, as well as some of the other ones you mentioned, you know, Halloween, mm-hmm. The Thing, and 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 everything. I, uh, and there are there are some that I. I haven't seen, so I've not seen Escape uh, from LA and a, a few of the others. So I'm looking forward to uh, ticking ticking them off the list. Yeah, well, it's just been released on in 4K. So oh, <laughs> so you can see the, uh, the cottage yeah. CGI in. Uh, CGI. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be kind, is it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> another one. The, the cinematography the, will look nice. Yeah. Yeah. But... yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All those anamorphic kind of lenses. I think. Um, Another what another one that that I think it doesn't get mentioned in the same breath as, as, as any of the others films because I think it's a studio film and it doesn't feel like a character film. His memoirs of an Invisible Man with Chevy Chase, oh. which is uh, another kind of forgotten film that I came to because as a kid I loved Chevy Chase and then it was like oh he turns invisible and it's full of lots of special effects special effects that still actually hold up now. And that was always a fun one as a kid, and it's got Sam Neill in it. He's essentially the villain of the piece, and that used to be on like heavy rotation late night. <laughs> and every time I'd watch it, because it'd be all these great special effects of him as an invisible man smoking a so you have a floating cigarette, and he would inhale it, and you'd see the smoke go into a set of lungs. So there'd just be these lungs hanging in the air. And I remember the, the special effects blew my mind. I was just, and also the clever tricks, visual tricks of. You know, a lot of it was practical. But again, another one that's just absolutely been completely forgotten. Now, I suppose, you know, like Chevy Chase has been, um, you know, he's not in, he's not on many people's Christmas card list, shall we say. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's worth seeing. I, I, I don't know. I, I suppose if Escape from L.A., I know it's more of a cult film, gets released. I'd like to see Memoirs of an Invisible Man appear again, just because it's a character film where it's, again, full of really interesting ideas, Great visual tricks and things, um, but yeah, that's one that never gets mentioned, which is a shame because I, I do think there's a lot of merit in that film. But anyway, I saved that for my uh, Chevy Chase podcast. <laughs> 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 On to the film. The Hidden Britain Sign Company produces handmade signs and print inspired by British folk horror and unsettling TV, film, and literature. Whether you are a fan of M.R. James, Haunted Children's Television, or public information films of the 1970s, you are sure to find something of interest over at their web store. Go to hiddenbritain.bigcartel.com or follow them on Twitter at BritainCo for more information and haunted content. Use the code HIDDENBRITAIN21 at the checkout to receive 10% off your first order. Terms and conditions apply. Hidden Britain cannot be held responsible for any subsequent hauntings, nightmares, or disturbed childhood flashbacks resulting from the purchase of their signs and prints. 
the the film, which is I was trying to trying to figure out how to actually kind of explain the plot in you know a couple of easy sentences. So I just basically went to Wikipedia and thought actually someone else can do that for me. <laughs> so the best way of describing this is uh, basically a, a group of quantum physics students asked to help out a priest investigate the cylinder that turns out to be full of a green liquid that is Satan. <laughs> so again, if someone pitched me that, I'd be like, that sounds ridiculous, but tell me more, because I want yeah. to know where yeah. this is going. So yeah, as a plot, it's it's out there, it's interesting, and, it, and the film itself, I, I think, starts off incredibly well. I think it starts off with another great score by Carpenter and Alan Howarth, you know, really ominous opening, full moon, you know, with uh, the sun there. The sense of dread is building yeah. from the mm. from the opening scene and seeing people, all these like clips of, you know, what's happening here opens up with this death of a priest to Donald Pleasance, you know, and not knowing exactly what is happening. I thought it was a really strong goal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why I love Carpenter so much is because it's always so much about the vibe and the atmosphere in terms of the way in which he, he plugs you into the world. And yeah, that opening 10 minutes of the uh, of the opening titles, which is intersperses, we're yeah. sort of getting to know the characters as well with that with that sort of ominous sounding sim score yeah. as well. It's just so well executed. And what I like about this film in particular is he's going more back to his old playbook. So it's more like he's making Halloween or Escape from mm -hmm. New York, where he doesn't really have the budget. It's on a much smaller budget so that he can have full control. So he's utilizing the score more, the unbelievable cinematography. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what I don't, what I like about this film as well is it's, it's really convoluted. Well, it doesn't actually matter whether you're following yeah. the, the yeah. actual intricate details of what's mm -hmm. going on, because it's just all about the vibe of yeah. the place. Like, this is bad. Yeah. We understand this is bad. <laughs> we're gonna yeah, and, and we're gonna just follow you along. Yeah, here. absolutely. And and the opening really helps in that regard. I think. Yeah, and because it, it's only is it only about ninety minutes, ninety five minutes? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, around a hundred. Is it? it? Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, ninety and, to a hundred. I can't remember and like, exactly. The, those opening credits last for 10 minutes all in all, or maybe, maybe longer. But you know from, you know, as, as James says, um, the sound effects and the, the characters that you're being introduced to and the things that you're seeing, like, you know, a priest on his deathbed with this chest and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all, you, you're already, you're drawn into into everything that's going on and wondering, you know, what what what's happening? We know that there's some serious something mm -hmm. at stake here. Um, yeah. I, th I think it's I think it's brilliant, uh, uh, you know, mm. storytelling and 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 directing as well. And I, I like that he he takes his time. The fact that he paces himself mm. obviously works well in kind of building that sense of, of dread and, and, and tension and kind of cutting to things. And then when the, the priest dies and then Donald Pleasance is, is, is brought in, there's like conversations happening that you don't yeah. actually hear what's happening. So you're kind of like then, right, okay, so this priest has died with this like tiny little metal chest that has a key in. It's like, what's, what is, you know, what's this got to do with that? And then you see these kind of students. And then I think, I think relatively early on, isn't there a shot of like a mound of, Ants yeah. kind of squirming yeah. on the floor again. That kind of yeah. just puts you uneasy, yeah. isn't it? It's like, yeah, it oh, is. what is 
what's going to happen? And like, just, everything's just slightly hard and off. And, you know, with, uh, I suppose, like his use of the, you know, the homeless people and given the commentary and they live, I'm assuming, you know, this is commentary on the fact that, you know, there's homeless people and it was a, there was a lot of homeless people around in, in LA and you can't kind of ignore them kind of thing. So I just liked that, 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 that the sense, yeah, the sense of dread and building up and, and it really feeling like in this ensemble piece of, you know, cutting to all these characters yeah. not quite introduced to and trying to pick up, oh, right, so that's the student, that's, you know, the, the, the academic, and but what's that got to do with Donald Pleasanton? Cutting to church, like you say, the, the, the fact that the credits last so long, it feels like you kind of, it's building to something and, and another a brilliant kind of set the church is with the with the, the there's the, there's a scene where i think uh is it victor wong and and um donald pleasant go down downstairs to actually look at the yeah. cylinder mm. and it's just so well lit it's all, all the candle lights all these crucifixes and all this religious art kind of <laughs> everywhere yeah again that kind of descending into sort of almost obviously like into hell i just thought it was what a great atmospheric set and just just goes to show what what the, le- the the production values that you can add to a film without a huge budget. Yeah, absolutely. I, think I that, can't again, believe that really shows. Yeah. I can't believe he shot this for three million dollars yeah. because it looks so much more. And it's not actually shot by Dean Cundy because he couldn't afford mm. him anymore. <laughs> Basically, Cundy had shot all of his early uh, all of his early work, and then he went off and started working with uh, Robert Zemeckis. He shot. Uh, the masterpiece that is Roadhouse no. as well. <laughs> uh, and obviously uh, Jurassic Park and then and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and things like that. He went on to be one of the top cinematographers working in mm. Hollywood. Uh, but this one is actually shot by Gary B. Kibbe, who would be Carpenter's cinematographer for the rest of his mm. career from then on out. And I think he was part of the crew anyway. He was sort of on Dean Cundy's crew and he was ready to make the step up to be the head Mm -hmm. cinematographer so this hasn't been shot by Cundy but if you told me that he had I wouldn't have been surprised at all Mm -hmm. because it's just so well done so Mm -hmm. well done and on such a tiny budget as well yeah and I think that the the fact that and I think we discussed this in the the fog that the way that, that that Carpenter just chooses the shots just adds so much more to it. He, he just has director's eye for composing these kind of medium angle shots where and like i say the choice of lens but it feels like the screen looks mass he's taking in so much it's almost like a fisheye lens and it just has this i say it just this his, his films no matter what the, the budget is I've always felt cinematic. They've never, you know, mm. the, the, at times, like I say, the production values can be a bit, little bit creaking, but the way he shoots these films is always just, you know, amazing. And to see, you know, watching it on on Blu-ray, I just thought it so striking. And I, I can't think of many filmmakers, particularly working horror, who have that almost, you know, that classic approach to filmmaking, where, where horror tends to be much more kind of, particularly with the editing, much more kind of abrupt and mm. sort of, you know, grimy, I suppose, yeah. because that's what kind of the 80s kind of mainstream horror ended up being. But I, I think he's a fantastic kind of visual storyteller Absolutely. as a filmmaker. I think he always saw himself more of a craftsman than mm. necessarily an artist, even though he is artistically mm. 
phenomenal. But he sees it as right. This is the so I work in genre pictures. This is the way that you compose for genres. This is the geography of the. I know exactly where I am yeah. in that church yeah. throughout the entire yeah. runtime. Uh, you know, when doing that in one location, it feels massive and claustrophobic all at the mm-hmm. same time, which yeah. is a real <laughs> a, a real nifty trick to pull off. And especially with all the when all the homeless people start. In, uh, massing outside the church as well mm-hmm. like you really get a sense of where everything is for instance i went to see a film last night about that's set in an ambulance and i didn't have a clue at any point <laughs> oh, right, yeah. where anything was <laughs> in that particular movie apart from the fact that 70 percent of it was shot with a drone by the no, <laughs> really. well yeah he's not Said, said filmmaker is not the most subtle, is he? So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, this is probably misquoting it, but I remember in an interview said that, you know, you know, in, in France, I'm an artist. In UK, I'm a genre filmmaker. In, in the US, I'm a bum. You know, this idea yeah, that yeah. he's just like, it hasn't been, you know, I, I just, I, I'm always astonished the way that he has never been, until obviously recently. Like you say, even if the genre isn't to your taste. The level of filmmaking, the craftsmanship involved in that should just be taken as this is high-quality filmmaking and high-quality tele- high storytelling. Like, yeah. like You mentioned that the plot isn't always easy to follow. It's, it's pretty pretty dense. But he, he, he always hits the cues mm-hmm. with his visual storytelling and the music. The craft tells you, we're in peril here. This is, you know, this is tension. This is, you know, what have you. Which of uh, which of his films have really landed, you know, commercially at the time when they were were released? It's Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. That's it's, it, pretty much. It's like the thing. Yeah, the, the thing. Ages, that, that wasn't. wasn't it? Yeah. 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 No. It's it's some of the lower budget ones did okay, yeah. but yeah. weren't cultural phenomena. Yes, but yeah. yeah, the only one that's actually landed <laughs> at the time and a mega hit is Halloween. Yeah. Mm. I suppose you look at like Dark Star and the kind of the the, the group of yeah. filmmakers he came out of these kind of like you know uh, not slackers but you know what I mean there, there was a generation of you know almost like hippies who came to filmmaking but had a love for genres and he never kind of gave that up you know I think he could have quite easily you know solely sold to, to the studio system and just mm. taking taking directing gigs and I suppose to a certain extent things like Memoirs and Invisible Man is that. But I think that he always stuck with what he wanted, the storytelling he wanted to tell. And I think that, you know, I've always thought that, 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 that I say, he just could quite easily have been director for hire. And he was such a good director anyway. He could have directed anything. It's just that what he chooses is always slightly off kilter. Mm. You know, Starman, it's a, it's a, it's a romance film, but it's, about an alien and it's a road movie mm. like, again it's like can't you just be normal yeah. <laughs> it's like can't you just choose yeah. you know one a film that's just a normal film it's like big trouble in china it's impossible to sort of pigeon yeah. that as anything it's like oh it's a western oh it's definitely not a western it's it's everything so i think that um yeah it, i i still can't believe he doesn't he's not working now and I think he's quite happy to do the the music for the remakes, yes, his yeah. various properties. He plays a lot of video games. He goes mm-hmm. on tour mm. with his son and do you know doing his film scores. He's mm. got a nice happy life. I think. <laughs> yeah. he, I think he got caught quite worn down by it, particularly mm. towards the end of the nineties. He felt like he was always fighting on. Mm. Perhaps it, the fight had gone out of him. 
by that mm. point, you know, we've been doing it for you know 25 years at that stage. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's too difficult this now. I can't be bothered. But yeah, I think you know, he has quite a close working relationship with Blumhouse. It's strange mm. that they've not said, right, John, what can you shoot for five mm. million, ten million dollars? Mm. We'll give you final cut. Mm. But it's not happened, or maybe he doesn't want to do it anymore. Mm. Are you a Bond fan? I mean, really a Bond fan. If you enjoy dreaming of what 1991 and 1993 Tim Dalton films would have looked like, or if you have a degree in Octopussy, but still don't know which Fabergé egg is a fake, then the Really 007 podcast is for you. Really 007. We bring an insightful, critical, and silly take on the James Bond films. We are proudly part of the Pod Dojo Network and are available for free on iTunes and Spotify. We have regular, in-depth reviews of every Bond film, as well as special episodes on different aspects of the series. And some of us are a bit down on the Craig era. Robert. While others are happy to pretend to dislike things just to get cheap laughs. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and join in on the James Bond conversation online. Really, So yeah, so the the next uh, Nigel Neal uh, reference is uh, the the sweatshirt that he's worn by uh, Brian Brian Marsh, played by Jameson Parker, who I'm not familiar with as a, no. a, as an actor. See the guy with the, the and he's got an and the Jameson tash. Parker as as Brian yes. as well yeah, as, as to say. Like, who is yeah, he? Yeah, never, I've, I've <laughs> yeah. never come across him before. No, so yeah, he's. Um, and I suppose he's sort of, I know he's an ensemble piece, but he's kind of like the traditional kind of male lead in mm. this. You know, yes. he's of all the male actors outside of, he probably has the most amount of screen time, I would say. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, because um, Donald Pleasance goes missing for about 20 minutes yes. behind, yeah. a, <laughs> behind a boiler for about 15 minutes. <laughs> And, Fair and enough the, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't sure that Brian at first. I, I was a bit like, mm. well, I maybe throughout the film a bit like I'm not totally behind exactly. this guy. No, no, I meant more. <laughs> no, I meant I meant more. He, he seemed to be like sort of stalking that girl a little bit, and uh, yeah, he's a bit. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I can't say I completely took to him. Yes. No. Well. Yeah. Exactly. He's not the most likable yeah. of the characters. It's not. It's not like it Kurt Russell, album. for example. You know. Or yes. I don't. It wasn't yeah, those yeah. one of those sorts of leading it's, men roles. Yeah. He's pretty, pretty, pretty full, full on, isn't he? Trying to um, woo or stalk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so he's wearing a a, a, t- a sweatshirt that has Neil, and obviously, yeah. Uh, there's a later reference to that he'd. I think he would. He'd, been at Neil University and transferred to the, the university that the, 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 mm. the cast the, 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 the characters are, are currently studying at. And obviously, Nigel Neal is a massive influence on not only Carpenter in general, but obviously on this film. Mm. So, yeah, so Nigel Neal, um, it may have been mentioned a couple of times on uh, some other, uh, the really awesome podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he was, he, was, he was from Lancashire. He was uh, born in 1922, and he was essentially a screenwriter for, 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 for television. So he, like, you know, beginning of his career was doing kind of like play, play TV plays. He adapted 
the um, 1984 uh, TV version of 98 George Orwell's 1984, which was broadcast live on the BBC. Yeah. Every time I hear live drama, I get really excited because yeah. no one ever does that anymore. <laughs> no. um, and that is with Peter Cushing. And he had a, a long history of adapting kind of, you know, kind of, uh, he did an adaption of uh, Wuthering Heights. And obviously uh, the, the other one, which we will get round to eventually, is 1989's The Woman in Black, which... Um, Terrifying. It's astonishing uh, <laughs> a bit of television. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah. And he's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but he also did, you know, most famously, he created the character of Bernard uh, Quatermass, um, who I suppose is like a, a forerunner of like Doctor Who, you know, a character, a scientist who gets involved in, I suppose, you know, the occult or fantasy or science fiction kind of plots uh, and uses science to kind of solve that. And that's what he's you know famous for. And they had, you know, there's been lots of iterations around kind of uh, equator mass from BBC adaptations to, I think it ended up being uh, there's a hammer horror film, equator uh, mass in the pit. And then you've also got a later ITV version of equator mass. And then, yeah, it's just kind of gone on. And then of course there was a, uh, there was a live version with a, 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 a hugely influential uh basically play for the day or TV kind of play called Year of the Sex Olympics, which is a really <laughs> incredible. But essentially he creates reality TV. That's what he, he, in that he predicts that in the future people will watch people go about their business and it's, uh, you know, and it is mm. incredibly prescient about, and again, big ideas of, of, of what the future can be. And, you know, I, I think he's a, an astonishing writer with an, this amazing uh, career. And, you know, there's, there's just so much to discover. And one of the, um, one of possibly the biggest influence on this beyond Quatermass is the Stone Tapes, um, which was uh, a, another amazing uh, program that he did, which actually, uh, birth a uh, a theory uh, within the paranormal. So the Stone Tapes is about, this might sound familiar if you've watched Prince of Dollars, <laughs> about a bunch of scientists who uh, go to a house, well, in this in this case, it's a, what said should, should be an, a haunted house, to investigate the haunted, using scientific mm. methods and technology to investigate what this paranormal activity. And within that, the, 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 this theory, basically, if a traumatic experience has happened in a building, that it sort of gets almost like, a like, bit like a tape, it gets written in the foundations or the walls of that building and it kind of plays mm. forever and it's kind of you know and you can access it that way so that if you have not seen the stone tobes and we will cover that it is well yep. worth watching there are lots of references to, to nigel neal in this this film but actually carpenter got to work with him indirectly um with season of the witch which is the, the halloween three mm. so nigel neal was actually hired to write the third Halloween film, but he told John Carpenter, our writer, as long as it's a completely fresh story, mm. it's not going to have Michael Myers in it. So he did write this script, which, um, again, the, the the details of that are a bit kind of sketchy. So he wrote this script, submitted it, and <laughs> Dino De Laurence was, um, was, was one of the producers on that and basically said, it's not what we wanted. You know, it's, it's you know, 
it, it needs to be a bit more violent. So then uh, it was then rewritten by Tommy Lee Wallace, uh, who obviously ended up directing it, and he and then Nigel Neal eventually took his name off it. So there was it didn't end particularly well, but I think you know Carpenter clearly still held him in, and that was in 1982. So you know five years later, he still there was no kind of bad blood between Carpenter and, no. and Neal because there's plenty of references uh, to that and to him and his, his work. church covered in crucifixes and candles and inside a big glass thing with green twirling liquid in it (laughs) (laughs) which is uh (laughs) yes goo essentially um so yeah there's lots of discussions and uh, again nice little you know and it's also that there's building up with you know revealing little plot points about what is this and what it could be and there's a book there that has been rewritten for over hundreds of years and the, the words have been written over and as if to say these kind of obsessive mm-hmm. characters. Um, and it, it did remind me a little bit of The Last Crusade, you know, this high idea of these, you know, this them protecting this, you know, in this tomb. Yeah. You, you, these priests who give their life up to, to, to making mm-hmm. sure that this thing never escapes um and there is a reference to this this um this order the brotherhood of sleep yeah. how great is that <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that, I, that's a that's an album title <laughs> or a, you know, something like that. Um, yeah so yeah so essentially this is this goo is is the physical embodiment of of satan that has been trapped in there and the Catholic Church have basically then decided to stop it from ever escaping. It's quite interesting that it's in LA, <laughs> not in yeah, you know, Rome, or, somewhere, yeah. else, somewhere else. Yeah, exactly, yeah, Rome. But yeah, not LA, yeah. that'll do. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the <laughs> I hadn't thought oh, that. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Continue. <laughs> Has it always uh, been there, or have they been shipping it uh, around? Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, just moving yeah. the case. <laughs> So yeah, so you've got, and then you get lots of you know discussions around you know this 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 plot, and, and little bits are kind of revealed. There's a there's a discussion about Schrodinger's cat by you know mm. someone else. It's like oh right, you know there's lots of discussions around science, and you kind of I, to be honest with you, when I first watched it, I was struggling to keep up at, mm. the, at this yeah, stage. Yeah. Like there's lots of plot. There's they're talking about these big ideas, and like right, okay, so, but, but what right so what's in the jar then you know it's like oh right yeah. okay say oh, of course it is um but then you know there's some great lines i think i think it's victor when victor's in the office talking to donald pleasant he says the outside world doesn't want to hear this bullshit <laughs> and it's like tell it how it is um, yeah um, and this is great because you can sort of get invested in the big ideas that they're yeah. discussing and the theological versus science mm. and all, yeah. all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, the stuff in the green, in, in the canister is bad. bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We don't want it to get out. Yeah, don't let yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, there's so much crazy stuff going on in yeah. this film. There's, you know, the Brotherhood of Sleep, who are an mm. ancient order who communicate mm. through dreams. Jesus was a space traveler executed mm-hmm. for heresy. Yeah. <laughs> the liquid is sentient and it possesses <laughs> anybody who yeah. gets in there. And it's not actually Satan, it's the anti-god who's even more powerful and evil yeah. <laughs> than yeah. the standard Satan. It's mad. It's mad. But I'm absolutely loving yeah. all of it because I'm just mm-hmm. like, this is all really, really bad and it's all going to go really, yeah. really wrong and I can't <laughs> wait to see how yeah, wrong exactly, it's going to yeah. go. 
any minute now, we know it's there's going to be. I, I was thinking, any minute now, it's going to crack or something. Someone's going to knock it mm. over, or you know, it's yeah. going to topple over, and then it'll possess someone. But yeah, and, and obviously they're as they're shipping in all this equipment, and yeah. again, more in, more characters being introduced. It's like that was Peter Jason yeah. in it, you know, kind of whistling and all sorts of stuff. He, he's he's great, I think Peter Jason. He just brings so much life to that character. Uh, and then there's all these characters that it's just like, oh well, I know he's going to die in the first, you know, for <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. opening. You know, he's not got long left. Um, yeah, you're really yeah, marking the dead meat. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being marked. And then again, this so this cut cutting to you know the windows covered in worms. Mm. Why? why? We don't know. Yeah, creepy. It's creepy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Ants in the back of televisions again. Yep. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. Uh, and then this sort of the impeding kind of surrounding of these of, of the church by you know I suppose possessed you know drawn there by the, this the essence of, of Satan all these kind of homeless people mm. that includes um, everyone's favourite uh, born again uh, Christian <laughs> Alice Cooper <laughs> um, who's uh, apparently he he's his he came on set just to see to watch because his manager was one of the producers and he just said, Oh, I'll come on to see because he's a big fan of John Carpenter and Carpenter went, all right, okay. You, do you want to be in it? You can be an extra. And it's like, actually, yeah. can you come to the front? Can we actually come to the, and then got this bit, essentially this part and then wrote a song for it, which you can hear through, um, the guy with the glasses, uh, when he gets stabbed by the bicycle. Impaled, again. Yeah. Yeah. Impaled by a bicycle. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you can hear there's a song and it's called Prince of Darkness by Alice oh. Cooper. Uh, I've not actually listened to it to, to myself, but I might cut to it right now yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. find it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Little moments like the we comes outside and he's, he's impaled by the there's just a broken, sawn in half bicycle in, in the back alley. He sees a pigeon crucified to uh, a cross, just really yeah. just a bit freaky and a bit odd. And I like that. I like being unsettled by stuff that you can't. I suppose. The less sense, sense it makes, the more unsettling it is. It's like, why is yeah. yeah, crucified pigeon? What's that? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and obviously <laughs> later on with the Beatles, it's like, what's yeah. that? Uh, and er- yeah. did earlier there was a small one with that the scary um, woman. I mean, am I allowed to say tramp? Yes, and um, yeah. <laughs> she's got a, she's got like a mug or something or cup with like, oh, maggots yes. in, hasn't she? Maggots. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, great. Yeah. 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 Again, just this creepy, isn't, just this isn't looking good, type type. type. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I say, just just the ideas. Like Jesus was an alien, right? Oh, okay. And then that's kind of just dropped in, and you're kind of trying to figure things out. And oh, this is quite quite interesting kind of concepts. And but those those ideas that you know that he comes with the, the Catholic Church being created to to sort of you know, mm. stop that, and and then we get one of the most unsettling images which is the first of the dreams which yeah. is the this is not a dream this is not a dream and it's this sort of looks like video cam kind of footage oh. of outside the church as it kind of pans across and there's a figure stood and he, and as the film goes on you see more and more of this yeah. message which is in the form of, of a dream and i just thought that is when I saw that, yeah. I thought it was incredibly creepy and effective I, I, and really stand I there. think this might be my favourite aspect of the film, mm. this this home video, because it is so scary mm. and it feels nightmarish, even though it's, you know, a mm-hmm. video 
footage or or whatever. It really is. It really is terrifying and brilliantly done. Oh, you know the amount that you see, like you say, you see a little bit more and a little bit more, but you never see a full image of what this figure looks like exactly. But it's so it's really really creepy, uh, really scary, and masterfully done. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and and, and like you say, just 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 uh, you know teasing the audience yeah. again, yeah. And, and that kind of. You know, Victor Wong wakes up from his dream, and then you know, the, it just sort of just holding back just enough. Yeah, um, yeah, to, for it to be disturbing. And it transpires that it's not a dream at all. It's actually a message yeah. from nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, of events yet to yeah. come. Yeah, and this, yeah, I just think it's it's and it's been. I think I think it's Carpenter's voice, and he, I think he. He shot it and then filmed the, a TV. So he taped it, mm. played the tape, and then filmed. I love it. that. Just I love that. Again, that, that's like that's like what we, me and my brothers, did when filming James <laughs> Bond films. You know, to show like someone watching CCTV footage or something. I remember we did something similar. I love that he, you know, this incredible filmmaker used that that technique for this. Mm. Can't do it anymore now. Now there's no more no, analog. It doesn't no. work anymore. What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Rob. I'm Simon. And I'm James. We want to talk about those movies. Those supposedly bad movies. Those movies that bombed. To see if they weren't that bad after all, join us every other Tuesday on the For Your Reconsideration podcast, part of the Pod Dojo Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, and all your usual podcast apps. And it won't cost you a solitary bean, mate. <laughs> it's like it's free. <laughs> it's just like it's free. <laughs> Turns out that it, the, there's corrosion on the lid, and it dates back like seven million years and things. So it's just, just it, like Carpenter just throwing all this all over yes. the way. He's the father of Satan, right? And there's the anti-god, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then you've also got that character, the the lady typing on the computer, sort of doing the mm-hmm. translation. Is it on the computer where it mentions about like? something like you, you won't get away or i can't i can't remember it was, it's yeah it's pretty scary but yeah th- there's all these things God, yeah she's been possessed yeah she's like typing incredibly fast yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it all kicks off when yeah um, and again a, a really effective bit of just really simple filmmaking um dripping upwards yeah. it's just the shot is just flipped so and it's it, it, so it's pooling in the ceiling, yeah. And then, sadly, one of the characters gets squirted in the mouth, which is pretty gross. <laughs> I'll be honest; I don't think this group of scientists are keeping a close enough eye on this thing. To be yeah. honest, with you. I know they've got everyone's wandering in and just <laughs> yeah. kind of like they're all just having meetings it. and talking <laughs> yeah. about theology yeah. and God knows yeah. what. They've got the computers ha- uh, hooked up to it, but nobody's actually watching it. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's sort of sort of chill, like, oh yeah, there's a lot of homeless people outside. I don't know what's with all the yeah, yeah, the window, I was like, huh? I am leaving now. <laughs> yeah. This is outrageous. I am not staying here. Something is going incredibly wrong. Yeah. I suppose that's where it sort of turns into almost like a zombie film, mm. isn't it? As each it does, kind yeah. of character gets infected by yeah. this the, 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 the essence of, of, of Satan and then they all they all sort of react quite differently as well. Like, is it um Calder, who, yeah. who sort of starts singing 
and seems really upset and distressed yeah, by he's his like possession. He's aware he's yeah. being obsessed. And he just, and, and obviously, he's, you know, he's quite a big guy and he seems like a real threat mm. and decides to, like, cut his throat, stab himself in the throat with a bit of wood. Yeah. <laughs> like, right, okay. <laughs> well, very upsetting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. And then, like, drops dead and, and then ends up coming he's back up. alive. Yeah, yeah, again, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it is it uh, Kelly? Is the one who's is the one who yeah. gets possessed with the with the blonde hair, and then she sort of like balloons. Mm. She's laid down, it's kind of balloons, like she's pregnant, and there's like movement inside yeah. of her. And I thought, to be honest with you, she was going to pop open at some stage. Yes, yeah, so did I? Yeah. Basically, her skin kind of melts, doesn't it? And that makeup as well is pretty distressing to see. It's so incredible like as well oh. because the guy who did the makeup, he was not like a prosthetics makeup mm. artist. He was just a regular sort of makeup artist that you have on every single film mm. because everyone yeah. camera ready makeup. <laughs> yeah. And they just sort of said, can you do this? He's like, oh, <coughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take a bash at it. Wow. <laughs> and then he did an incredible job because it looks absolutely grotesque. And it's sort of like the physical embodiment of uh, she ends up digesting all the liquid, doesn't she? So, mm, she, yeah. and then that she becomes almost the physical embodiment of mm. Satan. But it, then yeah. it's like her job to bring the anti-god through yeah. the portal. And this is the point where Donald Pleasant is just hiding in a <laughs> in the boiler room with an axe. Yeah, and Walter, the mouthy guy, is in the. Um, He's stuck in a cupboard watching all yes. of this, so they yeah. two women aren't breaking in. I was very surprised. Spoilers, but Walter doesn't die, and I'm yes, surprised expecting. that he yeah. didn't die because he's, he's so irritating. I thought he, he is. <laughs> he gets it, um, but no, he just spends most of the movie screeching and being hmm. a bit of a lech yeah. and <laughs> walking yeah, out in then, tremendous shirts. Dialogue, but then yeah. with some homophobic <laughs> slurs or jokes at his expense yes. and stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah, just some comments he says about the other characters and stuff. I just thought, you know, I like I like that Carpenter writes characters that aren't necessarily that likable. But I, yeah. I, towards the end, I was like, I really do hope they break that down door and get to him before they break through the wall. <laughs> yeah. The other group yeah. are trying to knock through the wall yeah. quite slowly. And he's like just screaming at everyone. He's, he's quite obnoxious as a character. He's not yeah. as likely as in uh, Big Trouble. Mm. But um yeah, and it sort of has a sort of like smart ass kind of attitude yeah. about him, you know, and that starts to grate. And I think that that bit where it, there is a, a slight lull in, I think the pacing at that mm. that bit when he's, when he's stuck he's stuck in the wardrobe and they're trying to break through. It just feels like I don't know. I don't know. I, I, what did you think of that? Did do you think it, it does sort of slow down a bit or? It does a little bit because then everybody within the crew is like half and half basically yeah. get get possessed, don't they? And as I say, it's amazing what he's achieved on the three million budget. But mm -hmm. I almost feel like that last act could have just been that bit tighter, mm -hmm. so that yep. we weren't kept, kept mm. cutting back to Walter in the in the cupboard. But it's just a case of he just didn't have the budget basically, so he had mm. to sort of separate people. Right, you guys are here, you guys are yeah. here, and we're going to keep. Shutting, uh, cutting back and forth to these two locations, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, but I, th I, you know, I thought it was still pretty effective. The thing with Walter is he feels like almost a uh, a deliberate storytelling red herring in yeah. terms of he's very purposely outside of Donald Pleasance. He's purposely cast people who 
aren't well known so that gives mm. a sense that anybody could die mm. at any point and what he's done is sort of presented a character who you're like well i don't know who's going to get it but he's certain yeah. because he's so annoying <laughs> yeah. and then he's gone no no he's making it to the end because every <laughs> everyone in the audience is thinking because it's a bit of an 80s staple that in slasher movies yeah. of the most obnoxious character gets it early on but no he makes it all the way to the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of lucky there's also the, 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 there's the scene with he's, he's got the character called Frank Wyndham, so obviously John Wyndham kind of referenced there, and that's you know the village of the dam, which Carpenter went on to, to direct, and he was played by the visual effects supervisor Robert Grasmy, and he's the, the guy with the, with the beard who goes out to the leaves and he's in the parking lot, and then is yep. then stabbed rather horribly by the the homeless woman. Who we saw earlier yeah, with a with a, with a uh, scissor, as, one half of a scissor, isn't it? Is yeah, it sacateurs or something? Yeah. It looked like that. And I was, and that I found to be incredibly tense because the, 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 there's a, there's a shot again the, the the sort of framing the carpenter is is a master of there's a shot of him stood in the car park and he's it feels like a massive space but then at one end you've got like the the homeless people encroaching on him and then the the, the church itself feels like. I was thinking he's never going to be able to run to that door in time. They're going to get him. <laughs> and then obviously I think it's, it's, it's Kelly appears at the door uh, looking demonic. Uh, <laughs> and then he is, he's just, he's just murdered. And then a little bit time just pops up again. Just he's there talking to, as they go to the window, he stood yeah. there like covered in beetles. Yeah, he's a punk um, tuxedo, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like coming out of his, right a little bit of, again, of, of um, sort of like Indiana Jones, you know, that kind of like the, the sound effects. And mm, the, squelchy and... Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, um, and he started, there's a great line, he says, pray, pray for death, he, he, he keeps telling them. And then he just sort of like folds in on himself as he yeah. head drops off and then he's like, just drops <laughs> in. It's so <laughs> it's just like, again, it's like, it doesn't quite make, I don't know, I was thinking, does it make sense? I suppose you've got other bugs, haven't you? You've got the ants, yeah. you've got worms. But for some strange reason, he gets stabbed, but turns into like a big man figure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then just crumbles after he gets to say his line. And I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah, it's just there because it's creepy and pretty disgusting, you know. And I, I like this. Like, oh, it doesn't need to make sense. It just looks. It looks good. There we are. Yeah, right absolutely. next scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then, it just goes bonkers, doesn't it? In the last twenty minutes, yes. like the ones who haven't been uh, possessed of fighting for their lives. Mm. The ones who have been possessed are doing everything that they can to try and catch them. Uh, Kelly's trying to bring the anti-god through a very small pocket mirror to begin with. There's some rules that have yeah. not been established, but yes, it's, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is too small. Then she finds a bigger mirror and starts trying yeah. to bring him, and bring that, him through. Uh, yeah. That 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 like you say that that final act where she she you know she 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 sort of puts her fingers through the the, the little like makeup compact isn't it yeah and then the, again like you realise oh right was that discussed before about yeah. through the, the 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 mirror and then and then finds the big mirror which is. Is it, in, is it still in? Is it in the boiler room? Because it's because it's either a boiler room or a or, is it? Yeah. or a janitor's closet or yes. something like that. Yeah. And that the way that that is shot again mm. is just brilliant. It's um, apparently it's mercury. Yeah. That they used and the, the mercury was taken from the crane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was bled from the crane, added to to, to this, and it's such a 
brilliant. Yeah, it is. It felt almost yeah, like um, James Cameron type effects from, you know, The Abyss yes. or Terminator yeah. 2 or something. It was really impressive, that. And the sort of the hand going through, oh. again, brilliant visuals. And then this sort of demonic, like almost like a classic kind of devil. Yeah. It reminded yeah. me of, if she pulled him through, it'd be Tim Curry from Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like big black fingernails yeah. and red skin. Hammer it up, yeah. And the, yeah, and that tension, the way he cuts to each, you know, the, 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 is it Brian struggling with someone on the floor? Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. One of the characters being chased and, you know, like Donald's hiding behind the boiler. <laughs> you know, building, it's like the, the slow reveal of the, 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 the arm and the hand. It's just, it's just brilliant. I, I think it's brilliant. The music, the, the tension, bringing all these, and again, that, that that knowing exactly where everyone is, it's never confusing in terms of right. Well, he's in the mm. hall, she's running down the hall, he's in the, he's with her in the same place. It's yeah. just, I, I suppose, there's that that lost art of that. Yeah, you know, in some in some respects, it's simple stuff, but it's mm. it's amazing how many directors can't do yes. the simple stuff yeah. well. Mm. Nowadays, whereas he was always like, what are the most effective ways to tell this story and what's the mm-hmm. simplest way to do that? And then to then layer in complex mm-hmm. uh, mythology and yeah. and visual effects and prosthetics on top of, you know, that really just like basic, it's like building blocks of filmmaking. Mm, yeah. And it's just, yeah, he is just a master craftsman. He knows exactly mm. what he's doing. I think it definitely is like a lost art because when you, when you think about, you know, I always think about some of my favourite directors. The, the action isn't necessarily like the the showiest, like the most visual, yeah. but it's 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 action that you can understand and follow. Which is why we mentioned, you know, you said before about the the ambulance <laughs> film that it's someone who's notoriously difficult to follow in terms of when it comes to the the action you think about things like I suppose uh, 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 the, the example that I always come to is like. Well, Brian De Palma as a filmmaker is another one who absolutely understands the audience yeah. needs to know the layout and the geography of the set and what's happening were. And I think things like, you know, the scene in, you know, the train station scene in The Untouchables or even, you know, some of the some of the action in Mission Impossible is just out yeah. of the textbook because you know what's happening, where and when. And that's where you can build the tension is cutting. And also that, the, the, the kind of cutting to other stuff and then coming back, absolutely. building the tension. The anti-God, not Satan, uh, is being pulled <laughs> through the mirror, and Catherine decides she's going to sacrifice herself and, yeah. and lunges herself, pushes Kelly through the mirror, and obviously taking the, the anti anti god with him. And then <laughs> Donald doesn't doesn't hesitate to throw the axe at the glass at the mirror, shattering it. And that visual, yep. I, I, on a, that, the, the visual, once that breaks of the, the figures falling through into obviously the water, the, the pool. Of 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 uh, Catherine li- reaching out to the to the mirrors, if to try and get back into the to, to the world, is just mm. astonishing. There's, I think there's flashing lights. You can just see her, and you've got the the the. Uh, that's for me. Is that shot it says everything because it's 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 full of desperation. It's full of terror and horror. This idea of her being trapped somewhere with with the anti god anti yeah yeah anti god and. Um, and then, it, and then it just sort of there's a set, a real sigh of ah, as it, all the characters, you know, and it does wrap up pretty quickly. That from that point, yeah, it's got a great ending though. 
Incredible. Yeah. Oh, well, yes. So <laughs> yeah. So we cut to, to 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 Brian in bed, like of all the characters. Yeah. I think yeah. I think those that are possessed give a little kind of gassy burp. Yeah, they I do. I think that's what the, the little Satan possessed them. But I, I when I first watched, it, I sort of expected them to sort of come round. But no, I think they're, dead. they're yeah. all there. <laughs> yeah. yeah <that's> <laughs> So in classic, I suppose in classic horror style, yeah, you get the, the fake ending. Yeah, dream uh, fake out. Oh, yeah. every which time, is just, which is brilliant. So, so yeah. Brian's in bed, looking. You know, he's got a little bruise on his face. Turns. There's Kelly with her melted face. Scream. Wake up. And then there's that. And then the score comes back in as that sense of dread mm. builds again as he gets up and looks in the mirror. And just it's just a perfect ending. Just as he as he goes to touch it. Well, he has the first, uh, the initial dream, doesn't he, where he, see, oh, he yes. sees her as the Catherine yes. yeah. coming yeah. out yeah, of the sorry. church. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is like, oh, no, we haven't actually stopped. No, no. Yeah. yeah. It's just a tremendous ending. It's so yeah, good. The and then, warning. obviously, the brilliant jump scare. Yeah. And then it cuts to black just as he's about yeah. to touch the mirror. It's, yeah. Wonderful it's, it stuff. Incredibly satisfying ending. I, th- I think. Ultimately, saying that there's no way to stop this evil mm. coming mm-hmm. into the world, yeah. and you can fight against it as much yes. as you want to, but the but it is inevitable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, there, there could there could have been um, there could have been another film within sort of the rules of this world and the, and this world that's yeah. been built up, but not necessarily, you know, starting half an hour after this ends, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't. I, I just, just thought of this as yeah, that classic horror film ending. You know, where everyone thinks they're all safe, and then no, nope, sorry, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a bit too neat yeah. and tidy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it's a similar ending. You know, like like with the thing with yeah. um, that, that ending of let's sit here and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. And it is a proper kind of. He's a king of yeah. a downbeat ending yes. as well. I mean, but, but, Halloween has a phenomenal ending yeah, as well. Yeah. So it doesn't. It doesn't feel like I don't. I didn't walk. I, sort of after I watched, it, I wasn't like, oh, I feel really bummed out. I was just like, no, oh, that's, it's a, that's so a, much fun. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The sense of fun is always there. It stops you from being depressing. Mm. It's just so <laughs> thrilling all the yeah. way through that. Yeah. yeah, it can have a downbeat ending, mm. but it's. It's just such a thrill ride all the way through, and I prefer, a, particularly in this in the horror genre. I think mm. you always want to go out on a unsettling note. Yeah. yeah, and I think, like you know, it wasn't. I think it's fair to say it wasn't particularly well received. I think a lot, a lot of people had said that you know the pacing was off, and that you know that full of big ideas that didn't quite land. Yeah. And, you know, it was a hard sell. Like, say, on the, the three million budget, it made just over 14 at the box office. Which is which is good. Everybody's happy with which that. Is, yeah, this is a decent yeah. reserve. But the problem, I suppose, like like The Fog, it's not Halloween. You know, it's not yeah. those kind of numbers. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm sure he was quite happy with that. I think, for me, um, what really stands out is is the sense of dread and impending doom. Like you mentioned, the sense of fun that, that it's... Yeah, I think he's quoted saying that he was asked, you know, "Why do you, why don't you think it was a success?" And he said that he said, "Really, does horror try new ideas?" And I completely agree with that. And I think that that you do even now, you know, horror it does fall into the same category. Occasionally, you get something different. You know, I think with um, Hereditary, 
Um, yeah. Occasionally, something comes along uh, that mixes up, but but uh, this is mm. let's say it's hard to sort of pigeonhole yeah. it as a traditional horror film because of those big ideas. Um, I mean, I, I love the score throughout, and the cinematography is great. I do love the bit where Kelly is trying to bring the anti god through the mm, compact yeah. mirror yeah. Mm-hmm. because you get a really good close up on the on the makeup prosthetics as well, yeah. and it's gross. And it's like, what I like about that as well is it's just like, yeah, in order to bring it through, we need a mirror, and that's where the portal's mm-hmm. going to come from. It's not going to be, it's not been discussed at any no. point during that. It's just like, right, I'm the audience. He's trusting me that I'm going to get this, mm-hmm. and I do get it. And yeah. right, onward, let's go. We have some time to sit around and discuss every machination mm-hmm. what. And yeah, I just enjoyed that he would go. It doesn't really matter if you enjoy all these, all the uh, uh, not enjoy. It doesn't really matter if you understand all these bits. It's what I'm currently interested in. I'm interested in quantum mechanics and <laughs> quantum <laughs> physics and the intersection of that with faith and theology. But ultimately, stuff in the big canister is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, bad things will happen if it continues to get out. And it's, yeah, I just love that trust that he places in the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, as I mentioned, from, from, from the word go, it, it, it's building and building. And there's rarely there's rarely I'd say more than a minute without music without that synth going like ding, 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 ding. or uh, you know I, I can't remember exactly how it goes but I'd, I just think I'd, I I mean you mentioned about pacing issues possibly when they're when they're stuck in the in the rooms they're sort of trapped possibly a bit but I, I think it, I think it really rattles along and I, I think um, that sense of dread and uh, impending doom is there from the start almost from the word go, it's there, um, which doesn't always happen with with horror films. They gradually build up, mm. and you know it's only after us after the first act that you're really you know worried about what might happen and and everything. But I, I really think it, it works so well. Yeah, as as I mentioned, the t- the TV thing, it feels like I, I don't know that that's such a good idea, and it it feels yeah. sort of nightmarish, but also mm. I don't know. That he, he shows you just enough, but not too much. Um, and then it is, a, it is a, an interesting sort of flip of it at, at the end that it's, um, is it Catherine or who, who is it? Catherine, yeah, yeah. Who's there or replaced the figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, so I, I would say I found loads of it like unsettling mm-hmm. and disturbing. I wouldn't say I was like scared to death by a lot of it, um, no. and you know perhaps the sort of I'm I'm not I'm forgive me I'm not the biggest zombie film fan, and so those you know people sort of <laughs> squirting each other with the liquid and then they're possessed. <laughs> I mean it's you know it's it's good fun. It's it's you know I, I found it entertaining mm. and everything. I wouldn't say it was like terrifically scary, and and also mm. perhaps I. Given given what's at, given what's at stake and the world that's been built up, I kind of felt that was maybe not quite what I would have done. However, the danger is if you're given a much bigger budget and you try and create some, you know, maybe they suddenly start turning into some demonic creatures or something. It can it can lose something there. So, um, but having had all that, then that final bit with with the mirror and everything and and the arm coming through, I. I, mm-hmm. I really think striking images that I'll probably remember mm-hmm. for the rest of my life, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, just absolutely terrific. 
yeah so so i i don't know if i've answered any of the questions no, yeah <laughs> so how now you're seeing it you know we mentioned before about kind of favorites where would you sort of you know place this is this is this do you is this a, is this a good carpenter film for you? oh for sure yeah yeah definitely i've currently got it i'm not a huge fan of the fog to be mm-hmm. honest that's one that's never really worked for me but i've got it sort of sick in my ranking here bear in mind i'm still to see uh in the mouth of madness mm-hmm. which could trouble the top 10 uh, i've heard it's quite good mm-hmm. so it sits between assault on precinct 13 and they live for me so not quite cracking the top five yeah. but but not far off and i'm looking forward to a point where all those other carpenter films i've seen them multiple times this is fresh i think i will like it even mm. more yeah. on repeat viewings once i can actually get my head around some of the more heady exposition like <laughs> yeah. dialogue that's that's going on and sort of mm. dig into those ideas because it's a lot to take in on the first viewing mm. um but i think now that you know exactly you know that you know understand the basics of the plot you can then dig more into the deeper themes that he's mm-hmm. that he's interested in with this particular one and i think i i can see myself enjoying it even more moving forward yeah no i completely agree i think that there's there's a lot of plot there's a there's a lot of ideas and you can just take it at ba- face value as a as a a thrill ride kind of film that yeah. has you know like I say it's just very unsettling or you can kind of dig into Oh, that's really interesting ideas about you know the, the you know the Catholic Church and anti God. That's you know is that, you know anti matter mm. and all that kind of you know. There's a lot to to to, to go into, <laughs> and I, I just like that you're able to that those those kind of films. You can just take it. Actually, I just want to watch something that's you know thrilling and exciting and a little bit creepy, and it is you know incredibly well made. And I think that when you look at those, you know, the fact that Carpenter is often kind of dismissed, when you look at, you know, when you compile your top 10 of his films, what a top 10, what a film. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So good. So yeah. Phenomenal genre filmmaker. Yeah. I think that, um, and that's the kind of the reason I want to do this little mini series is to sort of like, just flag these things. Like, you know, like the fog was, was one that sort of was, Oh well, you know, it kept, you know, coming after Halloween, and mm. it's just, you know, it's sort of, it's not as, I suppose, it's not as thrilling as as Halloween. But I think there's an awful lot to to, to like about that. And again, with this one, uh, they, you know, they they live has has had such a, it's now, you know, a, a, you know, a fully formed cult film that is in more mainstream than it ever has. The thing obviously took a long time, but again, that's so highly regarded. In the mouth of madness is. Another one that has been, you know, was sort of not misunderstood, but maybe came at the wrong time. Um, and again, he's slowly building up, you know, kind of, uh, you know, that kind of cult following. So that's why I wanted to, to, to pick the, these rather than doing the sort of traditional, oh, well, let's, let, let's do kind of Halloween, because everyone talks about those films. I wanted to talk about some of the other films that he'd done. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, even, and I've, I've been a fan of, like, when I started of going down, like you say, going down the rabbit hole of, of then finding, seeking out his other works. And, oh, actually, this is, you know, you know, just written by John Carpenter when he was just doing kind of gigs for, for the studios. Is it Black Moon Rising, the one with Tommy Lee uh, Jones? This yeah, I've not of, seen that one. Yeah, I watched that, <laughs> <laughs> that late night. And it's it's a bit like, is it Irving Kirshner who did that? Yeah. 
Empire Strikes Back, the director. And that's kind of um, such an odd film in his filmography, you know, as just as a writer, The Eyes of Laura Mars, another one that he, actually that might be Irving Kirshner. I'll have to edit all that out. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Irving Kirshner had directed one of those. Um, and again, just a, a high concept ideas, I just think he's, he's just it's just a fascinating filmmaker who who has done so many interesting films and I am you know and I still like you know like the ward which was his last his last film I still I think it's a really solid film and the the reviews for that weren't particularly you know that positive um big fan of John Carpenter's uh, vampires I'll even I even enjoy Ghost of Mars so that's how <laughs> yeah. I dedicate to uh, Mr Carpenter but yeah I mean, all his films. I mean, they, they do feel unique. Unique, like you wouldn't you wouldn't mistake one for the other. There's all there's a separate world that's been built for all of them. Mm-hmm. But you know, not using huge budgets or anything. It's it's. I I I find this film really enjoyable, and I actually said this about the fog as well. If I was flicking through the t you know the TV or what's on at the moment, and I saw that um, Prince of Darkness was on, even if it was like an hour through, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> I'll stick this on. I might watch the rest of it because I, I did. I found it so watchable. I really did. I, I was I was pretty gripped from the word, like I say, from the word go. And that's not the same for 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 every film. And and you know, as as you've touched upon, it's I'd say it is a horror film. But you know, so if someone's next question was, oh, so is it a ghost film? No. Is it is it zombies? Well, a little bit. But yeah, is it you know? demons well sort of it's 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 like almost in its own kind of wheelhouse or whatever i don't know it just seems it seems really unique uh and so original and Mm. fresh and and going into it fresh i think really helped as well i i yeah i was i was i was really um really enthralled by it Thank <laughs> you.